Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is August the 18th, and our chapter for today is the beloved John chapter 3. The chapter begins with Jesus and an encounter with a man named Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus's name is interesting. It is a compound word, Nico, Nikaio, which is the word for victor after the goddess Nikki. We have tennis shoes that's named that, a company that makes tennis shoes that's called by that name, Nike. And you see the victory swoosh on the side. Well, that's the first part of the name Nicodemus. And then the word Damus is the word which means the people being tied together. And it is the word where we get our word demography. And it talks about how people are tied together in various groups. So Nicodemus was a man that is described as a ruler of the Jews. He was a Pharisee. As a Pharisee, he was a very religious man. He was a ruler. He was probably rich. And so those are descriptions of a man that really should know the things that Jesus is talking about, but he didn't. So let's get in on the conversation. This man came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, Rabbi, that is, teacher, we know that you are a didaskalos, a master, a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. No one has the ability. That's what the term means. No one has the power to do these samion, these signs that you're doing, these miracles that you're doing, unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Most assuredly, truly, truly, the word is amen, amen. Now, amen in the Greek text, like in the Hebrew Bible, is a word of affirmation, of confirmation, of agreement. When someone says amen, they're agreeing with what you say. You're saying, let it be so, let it be established, because it has to do with faithfulness and uh, being true to something. Notice we say amen at the end of a prayer or when we say something, but here Jesus twofold says it up front, truly, truly, amen, amen, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now let's look at this phrase, born again. The word born again is the word which probably is best translated, born from above. The word anothen is the word from above. Ano means from above. Yes, ano, ana. They sound a lot alike. One means uh, again, Anabaptist, for instance, were the rebaptizers of the Reformation. But this is the word ano, and it has an ending on it. Anothen is the word for from above. And so what he's talking about here is a heavenly birth, a spiritual birth. And so Jesus said, amen, amen, I say unto you, unless one is born from above, has a spiritual birth, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, it's interesting, again, that the word see the kingdom of God is used instead of entering in, which we'll talk about later. 
But this is the word to see as in seeing with your eyes to perceive something that is a reality that you cannot touch as such. And so he says, most assuredly, amen, amen, I say unto you, unless one is born from above, he cannot perceive, he cannot even see the kingdom of God. He's not able to grasp it and get a hold of it. So Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now this was a man, a Pharisee. Uh, That means he was a religious leader. He was of a sect that knew the word of God. And in the synagogues worldwide, he would have been considered a leader. While the Sadducees mainly dealt with the temple in Jerusalem, the Pharisees were men who ruled synagogues throughout the known world. And here he was, Jesus talking to him about spiritual reality and how it relates to physical reality, earthly reality, but he's only thinking of the physical world because that's what he lives in. And so when Jesus talked to him about being born again or born from above, he says, how can that happen when I'm so old? Can I crawl back up into my mother's womb? Can I be born a second time? And Jesus answered, Amen, Amen, I say unto you, unless one is born of water, the word is the word for water that you drink, water that you touch, water that you bathe in, and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, what he's talking about here, born of water, is talking about your natural earthly birth. And uh, Scripture explains Scripture, and the next verse, Jesus explains what he says. But here's the thing that we need to understand in verse 5. He is talking about water birth in the sense that everyone who is within the womb is in a uh, liquid solution in water. As a matter of fact, when that liquid burst before the birth, when birth is ready to take place, it is called a lady's water breaking. And so every one of us is born in water. As soon as we're conceived, we are wrapped up. And so he's talking about the earthly natural processes here. And then there is a spiritual birth. So there's a natural birth. That's the water birth. Then there is a spirit birth. Not talking about baptism here. That's the Father's thing from what they're talking about. That's not the context. Jesus is talking about a natural verse, a fleshly birth, an earthly birth versus a spiritual birth because he's trying to relate to a man who's hung up on this. And so finally in verse 6, Jesus says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That's him putting in concise, succinct language what he was trying to picture for him in verse 5. In other words, in verse 5, he says, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's the first earthly birth. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That's the heavenly second birth. That's the concept of being born from above. He said, do not marvel. Don't be taken away that I said unto you, you must be born from above. You must have a spiritual birth. You must be born again. Listen, Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes 
from and where it goes, so is everyone that's born of the Spirit. In other words, it is something that is not tangible as such. It's not something you can touch. It's not something that you can see happening. Why? Because that's a spiritual reality. It happens on the inside of a man. It is something that God does inside of a man. God comes into a man, opens up his eyes. He is born again. When a man repents of his sin and turns from his sin and gives his heart and life to Jesus, he is born again. You say, well, is he born again before he does that in order that he can see? This is what many of my brethren say. Well, let me just tell you, that's us trying to put everything in some kind of order. Uh, And God doesn't even talk about that here. He says the fact is that, yes, a man cannot be saved He cannot be born again. He cannot be born from above unless his eyes are open. But when does that happen? Is it simultaneous with repentance? Well, we can argue about that and how many angels can get on the head of a pen. I don't know what happens as far as the process inside of the heart and mind of God. But I do know this, that if a man has repentance in his heart, and God grants him that repentance, and he turns from his sin, the Bible calls that being born from above. You say, well, what about placing your faith in Jesus? That is two sides of the same coin. You cannot have a coin with one side. It always has two sides. If you repent of your sin, repentance of sin in the Bible is placing your trust in God at the same time. And you say, which comes before the other? Yes, because you cannot do one without the other, because true biblical repentance means that you change your mind about who God is. You change your mind about your relationship with him. You change your mind about your direction. And when you change your mind and realize you cannot save yourself and you place your trust in Jesus, all of that happens within nanoseconds. And we get hung up on order. You don't need to get hung up on order. What you need to get hung up on is that experience happening in your life. Have you repented of your sin? Have you placed your trust in Jesus? Are you trusting him alone to save you from your sins? Nicodemus was trying to figure it all out uh, from an earthly standpoint, and God's ways are so high above our ways, we'll never figure it out. That's like a little peanut brain trying to understand transcendency. What Jesus was saying to Nicodemus through verse 8 is this. Nicodemus, you cannot figure this out. Why? Because you cannot see all of this happening. All you can do is see the results as to when it does happen. And this is what we need to quit spending our time on as we call ourselves theologians, is trying to put an order on what God is doing. What we need to be concerned about is what he's doing. And God will take care of the order. And uh, we're never going to figure it all out anyway till we get to heaven. But we'd like to slice and dice everything up. And those who don't believe just like we do, well, we just slice and dice them right out of our fellowship circle. And God doesn't like that. And the only people that get to do that are people who live in a land like we live in, which is free. When you're fighting for your life and you're being persecuted and uh, you're in a foxhole with somebody, what you want to know is, are you born from above? Are you born again? Not, let's sit here and argue about what is the sequence of when that happens. Well, enough said about that. And so Nicodemus answered and said unto him, how can these things be?
And Jesus answered and said to him, Are you a teacher in Israel? Are you a master at Dadaskalos? And you don't know these things? Most assuredly, amen, amen, I say unto you, we speak what we know and testify what we've seen. You do not receive our witness. Jesus said, I'm telling you these truths about earthly experience and heavenly experience. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? In other words, I'm talking to you about the very elementary things about how to know God and you're missing it. And so he gave him the illustration of the Israelites in the wilderness. And he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him, trusts in him, looks to him, should not perish, his life will never be wasted, but have eternal life. Now, what was he using that illustration for? I'll tell you why, because what the people did is they murmured against God and God sent fiery serpents, venomous serpents among them and was biting them. They were getting sick and dying. And so they began to cry out to God and cry out to Moses. And God told Moses to put a brazen serpent up on a pole. In other words, he'd have to put it up on a pole like a cross beam and lay that serpent around that uh, where the people could see it and hold it up. You can't just have one pole up there and nail the serpent's head to it. You've got to have a cross beam to hang it on. So he put a cross beam up in the air with a serpent on it. And if the people would look at that serpent, they would live. They'd be healed. Now, why did Jesus bring that up? I'll tell you why. Because, number one, it represented just what he had come to the earth to do. Because if they looked at that serpent, if they turned toward that serpent that was up on that pole, there was a miraculous healing took place. No one could explain that. How can you explain, okay, if you want to be healed, you look at a brass serpent up on a crossbeam. Well, that doesn't make sense to the natural mind. But those who put their trust in what God told them to do, they were spared, they were saved, they were healed. But those who thought they knew more than God and say, well, that doesn't make sense to me, and they wouldn't look, then they got sick and died. That's as simple as Jesus could make it because he said, this is a supernatural act, Nicodemus, and you can't figure it out because Nicodemus was hung up on this crawling back up in his mother's womb being born again. So Jesus is just trying to make this simple. And so he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one-of-a-kind son, there's that phrase that we saw in chapter 1, that monogenes, that one-of-a-kind son, that whoever trusts in him, believes in him, commits to him, that's what the word believe means. It doesn't mean intellectual assent. You believe there's one God, you do well. You believe that Jesus died on the cross, you do well. The demons also believe that, but they are not saved. They are not redeemed. They're not forgiven. And so he said, if you would believe in the monogenes, if you would trust in the monogenes, you would never perish but have eternal everlasting life. And here's the reason. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. If you trust in Jesus, you will not be condemned. We're going to see in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 when we get to that chapter next month that indeed, if a person puts their trust and faith in Jesus, there is no more condemnation to them. 
God forgives you of all you've ever done, all you'll ever do. The penalty of sin is paid for. He who believes, who trusts in Jesus is not condemned. But listen to this. But he who does not believe, who does not trust, who will not look, who will not believe, who will not commit, that person is condemned already. In other words, the picture is that the condemnation and the judgment of God is already on those who do not believe. And if you will turn and trust in Jesus, then God will take that condemnation. God will take that judgment away from you. You will not have to pay the penalty because Jesus has already done that. However, if you do not turn to him and you're not born again, you do not commit your life to him in trust and faith, then the Bible says the condemnation and the judgment of God that is over you now will fall upon you and you will be eternally condemned. You can be eternally saved or you can be eternally condemned. It's your choice, friend. As for me and my house, we choose Jesus. For on the way... This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.